everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of Soundtrack. We're going to be talking film nerd Christmas, or rather, the 2018 Oscar nominations. My name is Alexandra Bohannon, and I'm so glad that this year's Oscars aren't already a locked contest. Thank God! Isn't it exciting? Yeah. This really feels like Christmas, because we don't know what's going to be on Christmas morning. We don't not, know what's going to be inside. We're not just being shoveled the revenant over and over oh again God. for Thank every God. race. Uh, but absolutely, you can hear I'm not alone. Sir, what's your name? And introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Caleb Masters. I am the editor-in-chief of TheCinematropolis.com and uh, your voice of The Cinematic Schematic. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for joining me, Caleb, on this very special episode. I know we've done a lot of sound trekking this month already with our soon-to-be-dropped show over prestige pictures. Um, not necessarily uh, Academy Beloveds, but the prestige picture in general. And, of course, with the Cinematic Schematic bonus uh, talk about just the Oscar nominees in general general and our reactions and all of that for that show um but this show is actually just going to be about the specifically 2018 scores nominated for best score for the oscars um since our time here is really short uh we're just going to jump right in uh leading us into the show is is a theme i'm sure you all recognize especially if you were watching movie trailers from about March until July. And that's Hans Zimmer's incredible Dunkirk soundtrack, of course, directed by the incomparable Christopher Nolan. Uh, specifically, we were in, we brought in the show with track four, which is Supermarine. Caleb, what do you think about this particular track? Oh my God, this is great. This is great. Okay, so um, Dunkirk was a, was a great film. and I, I saw it in 70 millimeter when it came out last summer. I was very fortunate that Oklahoma City, uh, our hometown, had randomly that. had it. I randomly had it. It was great. Uh, and I liked the movie a lot when I saw it, but I don't know if it was because I was tired or what the deal was. I walked out feeling pretty good about it, but the score didn't stand out to me. But I saw it a second time, like two weeks ago. Yeah, and it floored me. Really, like, just, like, the whole movie just landed way better. I don't know what it was. The whole experience because it was That's one awesome. of those. It was one of those when I saw the movie, I was walking away thinking, I mean, I like that a lot, but it, I feel like it should land better. Second time, totally landed better. That's awesome because the way like this, this the way his the score utilizes the ticking of a clock. Oh. yeah. Yeah, uh, like it's if you go if you boil down pretty much any song in the score, like you can hear the ticking. Like, yeah, in the score, it's so freaking cool. And this is like one of the most climactic pieces where you're yeah. just like on the edge of your seat and like planes are going down or yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and I picked one. I, I tried to go through whenever I did my process for picking these particular tr- uh, tracks from the score. Um, I tried to pick a track that would epitomize. Um, this particular soundtrack to me and what I felt like this score brought to the table and what it was doing different and what it wasn't. And I felt like this track specifically really epitomized the just the kind of mechanical sound. Of course, you got that Hans Zimmer bomb in there, which is, it's it's funny because like that was such a trend for such a long time in scoring. And now just hearing Zimmer do it again is really just Well, Zimmer's always been good uh, at no, it. No, he's always it's, done it's always it. always the knockoffs that have been really Right, bad. right. Yeah. You know, or Metal Gear Solid, uh, or what was it be like? Any like of those like Space Marine AAA games yes. would always have those like bomb, you yes. know, scores yeah. to them. Yeah, you know, he does it so well, and because and it fits it, the way the, the the score for this film really pick. I mean, I just feel like it epitomizes the, the personality of this film. 
which is it's 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 loud, it's intense, it's a ride that doesn't ever let go. That's but true. it still feels kind of classy in a weird sort of way. Yeah. It's hard to, it's I don't know. This is I think it really captures right. what works about Dunkirk. Yeah, and one thing that's really interesting to me about this particular track. So, uh we just played you a short little sample from it. The full track is 8 minutes long. Oh my god. Uh, yes. In that rhythm of the clock and the mechanical noises, the that's the entire time. So imagine just for eight solid minutes, you're hearing that particular rhythm and it only just amps up until we hear that climax that we uh, listened to just a little bit earlier. So it's almost a solid eight minutes with only one tiny little break where it just stops. And then it's just like, you know, it starts again at a much higher level. It's a truly incredible way to drum up tension and the anxiety that just drives that film and makes it really scary and meaningful. I left that theater knowing like, Oh my God, I've, I mean, of, of course I've never been to war. You know, I know that this is a fraction about war would be like, but this is the closest I've been to war because how loud the soundtrack was, how loud like the score was on top of just the sound design and how you're just terrified the entire time. And that's what like war and being in Dunkirk at this point in history was like for these soldiers. And I just thought that was an incredible use of the scoring uh, just to amplify all of those themes and that heighten that tension and anxiety factor. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's a ride. I'm telling you what, like that movie is two hours. And the thing is, there's always a score playing too. There's very, very, very few. There's like, you can kind of on one hand, like just, truly silent moments in that film yes uh and i I just think hans zimmer's score uh it 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 just takes you on a ride and i think that's what this movie does uh more than anything it's a ride it's a war film and it encapsulates what war is uh no there's not necessarily uh, there's a lot of things that we're used to seeing in Nolan movies that are not present but i think for here this is no one executing spectacle in a way that is still meaningful it's not yeah oh yeah uh, at at all it is not uh and i feel like it lands the spectacle stuff so ridiculously well, but while also just getting fundamentally great storytelling. Caleb, we must maintain our breakneck pace and move on since we've got five whole scores to cover. Five more scores? Well, not an additional what? five. It's four. But four you know more what scores? I mean. yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. So the second score, I feel like it also doesn't need an introduction. And again, if you've been watching movie trailers and haven't been hiding in a cave for two years, you'll recognize it.
That's right. This is the inimitable John Williams with his last Jedi score, specifically track 13, the sacred Jedi texts. This is actually our first discussion of John Williams here on Soundtrack. What? Yes. It, I actually a little floored about that. I uh, found that very notable. And some of that actually, and I, and I think you mentioned this a bit to me earlier. For me, Williams is kind of hard to talk about in some ways due to that pro- prolific career of his. Um, so when I was pulling this segment together, I wanted us to talk specifically about a track that wasn't the opening crawl or an imperial march or anything right. that was iconically created in, you know, 70s Star Wars. Um, and so I liked this particular track, uh, the 13, the Jedi text, because it has elements of those themes and some of the major Star Wars uh, types of riffs within it. But it still stands on its own two feet. And I feel like it's a great example of what the different levels Williams Williams can do. Um, and that's why I really like this track. Um, but I know that you have some feelings about this nomination for Mr. Williams. 2017 was just an incredible year for film. And oh, yeah. I love John Williams. He ga- he has given us so, so, so much. And, I mean, I'm never going to deny the man a nomination, but he's been nominated more than probably anyone in, in history for Oscars. And I don't feel like his work on any of uh, either this movie or The Force Awakens has been particularly strong. I do like this one, uh, the, the, the piece you selected because it had, but... It's because it has elements of the original Luke Skywalker theme, and it does it does put a certain somber twist on it that I appreciate. It kind of highlight where we're at in the film, which is really cool. So I appreciate that about it. But I'll tell you what, and I maybe I'm just getting old and curmudgeon or something. Definitely, my <clears throat> criticism. Oh, well, <laughs> sorry, you're not wrong. Krusty Caleb. <laughs> you're not wrong. But I said this when the Force Awakens came out, and I saw it. And I like that film, too. I think Last Jedi is a lot better. But I, I liked that film enough at the time. But my, my something I noticed was that I couldn't just summon a tune from the movie to hum, which for Star Wars is a big deal. And I think the same is, it's the same about The Last Jedi. All this, the big mu- musical moments in this film that, that really rung true with me were movements from the older films. Like my, other, my, my favorite movie moment... Uh, spoilers for the last jedi is at the end when the morning falcon shows up at the very end and there's like a really great music cue where they throw you back to a track from uh the asteroid field mm-hmm. and i the asteroid field like there's like multiple pe- movements there's multiple movements within that entire seg- section of the film that's my favorite among my favorite star wars music ever um so but again it's like hearkening back to my favorite ever uh and i don't so i, I don't know last jedi i don't i think it had an okay score Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like John Williams is getting nominated because he's John Williams. Sure. I, again, it's not a bad score. It's John Williams. It's good. Like sure. in, inherently, it's good. But I don't feel like he's really adding much to Star Wars, uh, new to Star Wars. And um, I mean, I can think back to the prequels. The prequels might have a lot of criticisms, a lot. Of, but I can tell you what I can tell you: Battle for the Heroes from Episode Three. I can tell. I can hum the romantic tune between Anakin and Padme, and I. Sure as hell can go do 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 you know like yeah yeah I can hum those those tunes are like instant you can summon the cantina theme and play it on recorder or something right I can't think of a single theme from this movie that is original to this movie that I just like just it 
catches my mind. Mm. Um, there are good movements. I think which the, the the piece you the the track you selected was a very good one from the yes, film, absolutely. I mean, it was used extensively in the trailers and the marketing. I felt like it kind of did a good job at, at like epitomizing what the last Jedi was in a film. Um, you know, you have these kind of nostalgic swells, but yet. Um, so we're not ready to give up the whole way of the Jedi and we're still contemplating it and it's kind of melodic and a bit somber. Um, but I wanted to regale you with some Oscar facts about John Williams because Ooh. I am actually curious. Please do. So he, his first nomination was in 1967 for Valley of the Dolls. Yep. His most recent was obviously 2017. Um, I'm not going to count all these, but this is at least 30 nominations probably. He's only won five times though. Fair point. Uh, but he won for Jaws, Star Wars, Fiddler on the Roof, E.T., and Schindler's List. His last win was Schindler's List in ooh, 1993. Ooh, so okay. it's been a while. He's done some A plus scores. He since didn't then. win for Sorcerer's Stone. He didn't win. That's oh, shit. that's a travesty. Damn, like I yeah. I have mixed feelings about the movies, but one thing I can say for a fact as a true Harry Potter fan is that is an iconic score. Oh, yeah. You play that Hedwig's theme, you know what movie you're watching. Right. And it's sad that we got some of these established themes for like E.T. and we got it for Star Wars and we got it for Jaws, but we didn't get it for Harry Potter and that's become extremely iconic. Jurassic Park, man. That's another good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And that one didn't either. Yeah. Jurassic so Park. Uh, Indiana Jones. Cash, no, cash neither. Cash can. Ah, oh, man. God, he's done so many good scores. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, he did win for Star Wars, though. Yes. So he's already like he's already won for Star Wars. Do, do we need to nominate him for more I mean, Star I, Wars? I mean, Whenever I, it's all kind of manipulations tough. of yeah, existing man. ideas. Again, I would say if this was a score that was like Empire Strikes Back or The Phantom Menace or Revenge of the Sith. Movies aside, like the scores in those are incredible. But that's the thing. I don't think this is the one that deserves it. Sure. But 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 again, to your point though, the Academy loves to do this all the time. Let's give it to the guy because he John is Williams. John Williams is the Meryl Streep of scores. Yes. That's John Williams. And uh he did and regardless of, you know, do we agree that his nomination this year? I mean, Caleb, if you had to pick one of our amazing uh films because 17 was a blockbuster God, year for the film just incredible what what would you pick if you had one i will uh, answer that question before the end of the podcast okay well let's move on because we've got still three more soundtracks to cover so got to keep this train moving for a complete change of pace here's our third oscar nominated score for 2018 
have the mandolin-driven score of Carter Burwell for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This track is specifically 13, Billboards on Fire. (laughs) I wonder what happens in the movie. (laughs) On fire! Uh, Caleb, do you have any thoughts about this particular piece? Uh, You know, the... uh... (laughs) It's funny, the film I have the lowest opinion of of all the nominees this year is uh, Three Billboards, mm. um, but the score is freaking great. It is really it wonderful. Is great. It, 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 as soon as it starts playing, it clicks, and it just it does a, a really good job capturing how you imagine like uh, the the fierce Midwest. You know, it, it kind of captures again. It does a good job at at capturing the personality of the film, and I would you know the score is so. I think I think it just goes further to show that the, the score is really important to defining the, the the personality of the film because between this and Dunkirk like when I hear the score I'm like oh yeah this feels like it's the movie like, it yeah feels like it, exactly it's it what they're doing you know yeah and and that's I mean those are some great hallmarks of uh excellent composing is whenever you're just you know hashtag nailing it in terms of like whenever you are fully conveying the tone that we're experiencing on film and whenever it's enhanced and amplified throughout the score. Um, So I had to remind myself on the prolific career of Carter Burwell because I know he scored the Twilight films and I was like hard to put my finger on what else he did. Um, Mostly what he's done, I mean, not mostly, but a lot of what he's done. 15 Coen Brothers pictures. Uh, yeah, so he did, uh, he's done 15 Coen Brothers. He's all, d- he's done all three films of Martin McDowell um, for In Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, and of course, Three Billboards. Um, and, and then he's also done Being John Malkovich, Adaptation, Where the Wild Things Are, um, and Anomalisa. So, I mean, scoring 15 Coen Brothers films, I feel like the choices of having, I mean, Carter Burwell's already proven himself to uh, McDonough for, you know, being an excellent composer. But I, I mean, I feel like 15 Coen brother films would, you know, that, that sounds, that sounds a little Coen-y to me. Uh, in terms and, uh, of, yeah, well, you mentioned that you're like, if as soon as you said that, you're like, Oh yeah, this does feel like it's in a Coen brother. Yeah. Film. Yeah. Just, just the kind of, uh, just the kind of tones that we're hearing in the soundtrack. Vaguely folky. And just as a reminder, he didn't do Oh Brother, which is hilarious considering like that's very folksy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, brother very country. Well, but our brother were out though. I feel like actually leaned more into that was a different. It, that was a different type of film for them because it was like they were almost they were writing a different type of almost like a musical, right. which is a little different, I think. Yeah, um, and I actually was curious. Oh yeah, so T Bone Burnett worked with the Coens on doing the the music for the the soundtrack and of course like it has a lot of that they're not original songs they're like some of those were hymns and you know just produced but in terms of producing um period specific folk music i really like specifically the score for uh three billboards i'm really excited that i have access to all five oscar nominated scores Mm. i own four of them and then Zachary has uh, Last Jedi so I'm like set on my Oscar nominees for this year uh, but we must maintain our breakneck pace if we gotta get through the rest of these Oscar nominated scores you gotta hold on to your hankies folks for this next song because we're about to get real
So what do you think, Caleb? Uh, we're, we got the, the now Oscar-nominated score for The Shape of Water. Um, Princess Without a Voice, uh, this track is called. It's, it's track 20, and- Alexandre Desplat. Also, he did uh, the last two or three Harry Potter films, I believe. Yes, that is correct. He's done Queen, Golden Compass, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, all a lot of Twilight movies, uh, Harry Potter, uh, Danish Girl, Moonrise Kingdom, Argo, Rise of the Guardians, Zero Dark Thirty, New Godzilla 2014, um, Unbroken, and The Imitation Game. Okay, um, we'll, we'll get into this movie, but I just wanted to give a shout out to The Imitation Game score, which is an incredible score. Uh, very underrated. Uh, anyway... So onto the shape of water. Uh, no, I I love this score. Uh, this is a, an incredible film score that I, I think really captures the 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 range of emotions that you experience in the film. There's like the weird thing. It reminds me. It's it's got that romantic jive, like that classical romance where you, I think of like Lady and the Tramp. You know, where they're eating the spaghetti. And then oh the guy, yeah, and well the it's not the, the, the accordion. accordion. Yeah, no, it has a lot of French like that kind of. Oh, that French stereotype. Romanticism. Like, yeah, romantic overtones to it. Guillermo del Toro, was so, at heart, he is such a romantic. Oh. But he also loves movie monsters, which yes. is why we get The Shape of Water. And, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And I, I think the score's an A+. Plus. Uh, and uh, I like this piece particularly, but there's other pieces in this sound, soundtrack that is, are amazing. Yeah, no. I, I mean, the Academy has really done us right this year to have... The Shape of Water being the Oscar forerunner. 13 nominations. 13 noms. I mean, that's incredible. From a genre film. A genre film. Uh, Directed by Guillermo del Toro. A man of color starring a uh, mute Mute actress. Actress. (laughs) And about a lady who just wants to do it with the fish. Which, by the way... Doug Jones, we send our love. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I I really was sad about Circus. Between, like I was trying between uh, between Doug Jones and Andy Circus get not getting nominated. You're always like, ah, one day maybe. One day maybe the Academy will realize that acting happens in mocap. Ridiculously <laughs> good acting. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, but I I mean this score is incredible. I I always I feel like I'm being transported into that world when I'm listening to it. And that is a one amazing high hallmark of an amazing score. When I just think back, this is the thing I, I, I definitely associate this particular soundtrack with a very specific sequence, which is uh, basically the big iconic romance sequence where they in the bathroom together and they fill it up with water. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh yeah. I mean like it just, it just captures a moment so perfectly yes it does and it feels just utterly perfect and that always makes me quite quite happy um and also just moving on to we have one last score to cover for this very special episode of soundtrack folks this one it's we're not going to be leaving you on a on a bad note um here is our last nominee for the 2018 uh best score
there you have it. Our last Oscar nominee for 2018, Phantom Thread, of course, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. And this was Johnny Greenwood uh, with track 18 for The Hungry Boy, which that's a line from the film. The Hungry Boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really, really like this entire soundtrack, uh, the specific score. It sounds so much like Eric Satie, which is a, a really incredible classical pianist. Um, he's done in the works that Satie has done really influenced. I'd say this is a major influence in what we hear in Phantom Thread. Um, fun fact, Caleb about Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood is the lead guitarist and keyboardist for a little band i don't know if you've ever heard of them they're called radiohead what <laughs> yeah I love radiohead yeah me too and i had no idea that his part-time job was just scoring really good movies you know, between tours and albums he, he scores films yeah um his most recent stuff since uh so he's done eight films he started in 2003 with body song um he's done body song there will be blood norwegian wood we need to talk about kevin the master inherent vice which i still have not seen and that's been three years now <laughs> and it goes by fast uh phantom thread and you were never really here which actually uh, came also, out also last year joaquin phoenix by the way yeah that has it is that hit oh it hit con it can just, it, it just can't it's recent it's still being oh it's right still now. studios yeah oh it sounds like it's going to be released it's going to be released in April. Oh, here. I think it actually just played at Sundance. Okay, I figured it, yeah. we were a little behind, but yes. So he uh, he scored. Uh, you were never really so here, he so we have for yet Paul to Thomas hear it. Thomas Anderson out. films, right? Yes, okay, that's good. Well, that explains uh, that explains how Paul Thomas Anderson films. His movies are really interesting because he's communicating. He uses the same types of techniques to tell his stories, but his stories are also very dramatically different from yeah, each other. Totally. Uh, I, I mean, subject matter, of course. Subject yeah. matter, tone, like the, the the themes are different, like just wildly different. But there's something about all of them when you watch it, like, oh, I'm watching a Paul Thomas Anderson You film. just know. And that's, and that's a mark of an auteur director is like you despite, you know, not talking or uh, about the same things, the same types of subjects in your film. I mean, knowing that it's like, oh, yeah, Yes, I am watching his vision of this world, and I, th- and I think one of the big traits for his films is his scores. Though, like he, oh for sure, he, most of his movies usually have music playing almost all throughout. Exactly, and he has. A, there's a lot of things he does. Sequences, full blown sequences of him focusing on weird details that you would never th- ever think of, and something. So, uh, in the case of the Phantom Thread, it's it's uh, it's it's um, uh, the main character. He's sizing up the woman's. The woman, he's like taking the measurements. But here's yeah. the thing, and it's, it's and it's fetishizing the process. But it's not fetishizing the woman. No, or the body. It's, it's literally it's yeah the process, the, the process, measuring. Yeah. like it's so weird. Or uh, and there will be blood. It's the the oil rig. How does the oil rig run? Like there's an entire sequence of like really dramatic high impact music played throughout that entire sequence. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Um, and, it, and, and usually it lies through most of the, most of the film. Yeah, and. I mean, Johnny Greenwood has done a really good job um, working with There Will Be Blood. And then this film, two films that have very, I mean, like we said, very different subject matter. But he is like a, you know, he and Paul Thomas Anderson, of course, and Daniel Day-Lewis are similar, are these similar hallmarks throughout both. Um, And I just find both films to still move me in in very different ways but i'm still moved and i think that's uh that's a really important thing to note about paul thomas anderson and of course of johnny greenwood 
Alex, I have one question. What? <laughs> is this whole talk, is this all about the goddamn asparagus? <laughs> oh my god, that was... If you haven't seen Phantom Thread, that's a deep cut. But if you have, then you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, uh, so going back to a question I posed earlier, Caleb, if you had to replace uh, either uh, John Williams's Last Jedi score with a score from 2017, what would you pick? Um, I'm not going to pick uh, any of those. Uh, I'm not going to roll with that game. But I, I will instead give a shout out to a lot of other films that should have that I think were very worthy of, of taking that spot. Very good. Uh, firstly, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, another Hans Zimmer uh, piece, also a collaboration with uh, Benjamin Walfish. Uh, you also have again, man, criminally, criminally forgotten and underrated film altogether, but especially the score from twenty seventeen, War for the Planet of the Apes, is an incredible Michael Giacchino score. Uh, I would also throw. Um, Coco, another Michael Giacchino score. Um, uh, God, I love it. Coco is really it's, fantastic. It's got a great score that does a lot of different things and very catchy and uplifting. And there's a couple movements in there that remind me of my favorite video game music. Uh, so we've got that. Um, a Ghost Story, which is a Daniel Hart score. Uh, gosh, uh, Mother. Like there's there's a lot of other scores that I think are very worthy uh, of that spot. Uh, but you know. At the end of the day, they can't all get nominated, and that's okay. We understand it's a competitive game. Logan, Logan's a great scorer. And you you had actually said something to me uh, once before about Logan that I found really interesting about your comments between, this is a time to get self-indulgent about the Logan sound, Logan and Wolverine soundtrack, so yeah. go for it. Well, okay, so Logan's got a really, really great soundtrack. I actually think that... The Wolverine, not to the second one, not Wolverine Origins. The second one set in Japan is my favorite by a lot. Uh, it's because it's still using it's still got that Western twist on it, but it's more in line with like a samurai film. And it also incorporates a lot of different elements of Japanese pop culture that I really appreciate. So maybe it's just because it's more my wheelhouse, but I love that score. Uh, Logan is more of just a straight up Western, but it does take some of the more Western samurai elements of the Wolverine score are lightly incorporated into the Logan score. Nice. And I do appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and kind of similar t- in concept to, you know, Williams incorporating themes from every freaking uh, Star Wars movie he's ever made into uh, the score for The Last Jedi. And um, it would be, you know, it, it'd be a nice gesture to see that film nominated. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of those picks. Um, I think... Uh, I, I I feel like I remember liking uh, Call Me By Your Name's soundtrack a lot as well. So the Call Me By Your Name soundtrack is literally more of a soundtrack. It has, um, but it does have those really great songs by Seth Jen Stevens. Uh, and I really, I really like that quite a bit. Um, definitely, you know, you can't, I mean, a soundtrack that has multiple multiple uh authors composing and you know it's not a traditional score but i still deeply appreciate it's it. got a good soundtrack uh I, also sorry i will shut up i promise one day uh no another, this is a time another criminally underrated film and just didn't get a lot of media attention or anything uh that did but it did score a best animated feature nomination was loving vincent has yeah. an amazing score from clint mansell who's one of my favorites uh, we also have Good Time, which had a really fascinating experimental soundtrack. That whole movie feels like a music video. <laughs> that entire film, what a trip, man. Yeah. I like it in a way that I can't 
quite explain. <laughs> right. It's a it's a fascinating one. So those are just a few. I mean, there are more, sure, but those are some other films that I think are very worthy of a nomination that, you know, again, I'm not going to be upset about Star Wars getting a nomination by any means, but uh, I don't feel like it was Williams' strongest Star Wars outing sure. in the last 20 years. Yeah, I mean, he won for the titular Star Wars 1977, right? Yeah, 1977. Yeah. yeah. So he won for like the Star Wars, the, the first Star War. He won for that one. First war in the stars. Good. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I would have much rather, I mean, he did get in nominations for a whole heck of a lot of good stuff. He has. He's done. He's, I, and he's done prolific work. Amazing work. I, I mean, again, him and Spielberg are very much of the same cloth. They have done, they've covered so many different types of stories and different types of scores that all feel so radically different from each other. And it's like, how did one person produce so many different types of things. And it's, it's when you look at their body of work, you're like, wow. Uh, and, and yes, prolific and, um, irreparably influential, like just contributed so much to film scores. So yeah, not, I don't want to speak. I will never speak ill will against John Williams, but I do think there were a lot of better scores this year. And I think there have been better, Star Wars scores in the last 20 years. Yes. Well, that's about our show for this very special episode of Sound Trek. Um, of course, you can follow us on all of the, the social medias. You can find me at Alex V. Brohannon on Twitter. You can find me at Brohannon on Coffee. If you want to, you know, put a dollar in my tip jar, I'll really appreciate that. Uh, you can also follow uh, and find the workings of the Cinematropolis at thecinematropolis.com and all sorts of other places. Uh, Caleb, where else can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me tweeting about all sorts of things uh, leading up to the Oscars, probably more predictions and angst and anxiety about who's going to win. Cause I, for the first time in a long time, I don't know who's going to win. I don't either. Mm. Uh, and it's, um, yeah, yeah. It's anyone's game, but, uh, yes, tweeting about all the good stuff on Twitter at Seedmasters Talk. That is letter C, Masters Talk. Oh, well, if you want to see some of my quick movie thoughts, you can always ha head on over to Seedmasters91 uh, on Letterboxd or, or for more full-length essays and reviews, uh, head on over to thecinematropolis.com. Sure. And to be, you know, fully self-indulgent, it's a time of great self-indulgence by the Academy and by awards. So we're going to end on a selection from the Your Name soundtrack or Kimi no Nawa uh, soundtrack. So um, I'm Alexander Bohan and this is Caleb Masters and we'll soundtrack again with you soon.